Well, hello, my friends. It's John O'Leary, and welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast. As you may have heard, we have started a new segment called Monday Moments. Feedback on it already has been unbelievably positive. The idea behind the Monday Moments is this, for me to share with you, our listeners, a burst of inspiration to start your week on fire, baby, on fire. Each week, we will be a little bit different than the one that preceded it. I may share a story from a Live Inspired community member. I may answer one of your questions, so send them in. Or I may share an update from a previous guest. To have our Monday Moment episodes automatically sent to you, subscribe to the Live Inspired podcast on Apple Podcasts or anywhere that you may be listening to your podcast. If you've had a past guest that you'd like to hear from again, share a story about how the Live Inspired podcast has changed your life, or simply just have a question that you'd like me to answer, feel free to email me at info at johnolearyinspires.com. I'm going to say it again because I want to receive your feedback, your questions, your, your advice. Here we go. Send me it at info at johnolearyinspires.com. Welcome to the Live Inspired Podcast with John O'Leary. John is the number one national best-selling author of the book On Fire. He's a world-class inspirational speaker, and he's the host of the Live Inspired Podcast. John interviews extraordinary individuals on their life story so that you can wake up from accidental living and more fully live your life story. Here's your host, John O'Leary. Well, hello, my friends. This is John O'Leary, and I'm so happy to have you here joining us in the Live Inspired Movement. Those of you who have been around for a little while know that at age nine, I was involved in a fire and spent five months in hospital. But even if you've been around a while, you probably don't know this story I'm about to share with you, that my mom and dad early on compared what we were doing together in hospital as climbing a mountain. They, they came in late in January and described me as saying, baby, take the next step forward. You are a mountain climber. Take the next step forward. Keep going. You know where we're going. We're going to go to the peak together. And over the next five months, this little boy and his courageous mom and dad and the siblings and the nursing staff and the doctors and the volunteers and the servants and all the ladies and gentlemen from all over, not only St. Louis, but the country and the world became part of our journey. We climbed this together, and five months after the journey began, we summited the mountain. We returned home, and the party was on. Now, we realized later on that that was just the first peak, that eventually I'd have to learn how to write again and learn how to stand again and learn how to take care of myself again and learn how to accept myself again. But it was a big peak. It was a big peak. So important it was to us that uh, as we were progressing through that time in hospital, uh, my mom and dad said, when you get out, you get to choose where we go as a family uh, on a vacation. And the place I chose was Colorado. And so uh, at age 10, about a year after I came home, we hopped in the family station wagon, baby, left the dog behind, but everybody else, six kids, mom and dad drove out to Colorado and we climbed some mountains together. So I've always loved mountains. I've always been moved by their immense size and I've always been in awe of their absolute beauty. Well, today, live and in studio, we have one of the world's great mountain climbers. Manly Feinberg has ascended some of the sheerest, some of the most remote, and some of the most difficult mountains in the entire world. He's also a terrific speaker. He's the author of the best-selling book, Reaching Your Next Summit. I have a copy of it right in front of me. I've read it. I love it. You should check it out. 
He's also a remarkable musician, and if we're really good today, we might even be able to hear a sample of that music. My friends, on today's podcast, we'll discuss with Manly why we should all climb. Yes, that means you, and no, it does not mean El Capitan or Mount Everest, but we should all climb. How we can all get a clear vision of where we really want to go, how not only to inspire the best in our team, but also to ensure that we are inspiring and living the very best in ourselves each day. My friends, I want you to put on your safety harness. I want you to grab your journals, open up your hearts, open wide your minds, and welcome my friend, Manly Feinberg. Manly, welcome to Live Inspired. Thanks, John. First of all, I just want to say how grateful I am to be with you today. And um, I just, great respect and love for you and to be with you and with your audience is a, is a huge gift to me. Thank uh, you. You are reading the script just as I put it in front of you. So uh, I think the next thing is to say how handsome I am. So you may want to read that line. I'm good looking there too. There you I'll go, baby. Good. All right. So now we're right on track. Manly, it's our pleasure, man. You've, you've got a terrific story. We've known of each other for almost a decade. You know, some of my family members, they know and respect you like I do. For those who don't yet really know you or your story, tell our listeners what you're all about today. I'm about trying to help people step out of their comfort zone. What I've learned in my life and whether it's growing businesses like Build-A-Bear or climbing mountains or raising kids or keep my wife married to me for 25 years, is uh, if we embrace what's uncomfortable and, and step into exposure, that more is there. Life is always more rewarding on the other side of that. And engaging in that in an intentional way is absolutely rewarding. So I try to balance all that, which is challenging. And I do that through uh, keynote speaking primarily, leadership retreats and uh, books, podcasts, that sort of thing. And just trying to be present with people. So I got to see you live in yeah, where we yeah, call it? Colorado. Keystone. What a beautiful spot. And did you rocked it. So I knew then like, hey man, it's been too long. It's time to get Manly on the show and have him share this story and share his heart with our listeners. So guys, ladies, friends, you're in for a treat. Manly, you have a, is it a British accent? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> I grew up in Kentucky. What, and uh, I lived, Kentucky? I've lived in St. Louis for 18 years now. So uh, very proud of my Kentucky roots. I had a huge influence on who I am today. Talk about that. Yeah, I was born in Louisville, Kentucky, and uh, my parents divorced when I was relatively young, then moved to northern Kentucky, which was cool because I was close to my grandparents' farm, a really rural, little impoverished community called Sanders, Kentucky. It's a challenged rural community like many. My grandparents had a farm there, and my mom grew up on that farm. I lived near there for many years as a kid. My mom, huge influence on me. My mom wanted me to be able to go to the country club and golf and wear a tux, and then she wanted me to be able to sit down in Sanders, Kentucky with whoever, at whatever level, the socioeconomic bracket, and relate to them. And she said, don't ever forget where we came from. And that was something she really drilled in my head and spent time with my grandparents growing up. That was very formative. Grew up in Bardstown, Kentucky from fourth grade through high school, which was very influential. Uh, Catholic community, which is also influential. Um, though Bardstown's Bourbon capital of the world, pretty rural community, uh, but good values. Uh, went to school in Lexington and Transylvania. And then I lived in Western Kentucky as well, and then back in Northern Kentucky. Uh, so most most parts of the state. Right. And then been in uh, St. Louis for 18 years now. I came over here to work for Build-A-Bear years ago. So how many brothers did you have? My home, I grew up as an only child. But that said, I do have two brothers and two sisters. They're all older. I'm very close to all of them. Did you fit in pretty pretty easily in school? Yes and no. I was very always very different. And I'm always kind of, I remember priding myself on being different in a little rural community in Bargetown. And um, I liked being different. I remember wearing different clothes and, and got picked on a little bit about that, but by then people already liked me, and so it wasn't that painful, I wouldn't say. I wasn't a jock, I played music. I got along with everybody, everybody. Right. and so, um, yeah, so I was definitely different. Did they know you were into music? Yeah, yeah, so that started in around, really eighth grade, seriously, I started playing around, which was about 1985 or so, 85 or 86, and then by freshman year in high school, people knew I was pretty serious about it, and I got pretty excited about playing. 
Well, you got me pretty excited about playing. <laughs> I knew you tinkered with it. I did not know you crushed it. <laughs> and so here I am in Keystone, Colorado. It is early. Manly, what time was your keynote? Oh my gosh. I think it was a seven. <laughs> I think it was 7 a.m. I think it's no, the earliest keynote I've ever There was no one awake. Okay, we were life. all sleeping. I was in the far back sleeping and uh, you started speaking. I started waking up a little bit, but then you told this story that just fired me up. So I'm gonna kind of step back a little bit and have you step in. Thank you, by the way. I, I knew we were, we were friends and I saw you were on the agenda. And but you were in the next day and you had just flown in. I said, would you, would you wanna come out and hear me speak? And I thought, there's no way this guy's gonna come out at 7 a.m. I made a big mistake, I'll never do that again. <laughs> and he said, yeah, I'll do it. And I was like, wow. <laughs> so this is an interesting story I'm in high school. And I uh, was hanging out with my mom on the couch one night and uh, saw Jimi Hendrix playing the national anthem, all right? And then I was like, oh, I had this crazy idea popped in my head right there. I thought, what if I played the national anthem at our basketball games? And so Bardstown, Kentucky, really all of Kentucky, we have decent football programs, but we're known for basketball. And in, in Bardstown in particular, that's about all people do. People are either playing basketball, uh, eating fish and playing bingo on Friday since it's a Catholic community, or drinking bourbon. There's so many <laughs> bourbon distilleries there, but that's it. But nobody's playing the national anthem on the guitar. And uh, before I could talk myself out of it, I went to our basketball coach and uh, Coach Bev Hart. And he, uh, I said, I wanna play the national anthem. He said, you're crazy. What, what are you talking about? He said, go to Sister Margaret. So I went to the principal. And not because I was in trouble, he said, she'll have to make the decision. I don't know, that sounds crazy. So she, and then she refers me, she said, Manly, I can't make that decision, you gotta come to the school board. So next thing I know, I'm in front of the school board in this old stinky gym, like we all had growing up, and the school board members are there. And some, she'd give me the heads up, Sister Margaret said, just so you know, Curtis Ice is the chair of the school board, he'll make the final decision. So just Curtis Ice is this big, gruff, six foot six gentleman, and he's sitting there, he says, go ahead and play it, son. He's, uh, he wasn't real excited, I could tell. So I play it note for note, and I like put a little vibrato on this last note, and he shouts, stop! And he goes in this huddle, and he comes out of the huddle, and he says, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna have you do it, son. <laughs> I said, but I would tell you, the team's been struggling this year. Three rules, I want it straight and simple. He said, I don't wanna know that wiggle you did at the end. And I remember thinking, what is he talking about? And I realized he's talking about this vibrato. I said, okay, yes, sir. And then he says, uh, Top 10 games, only went to the biggest games. And then I was like, cool, okay, this is good stuff. And they said, and number three, I don't want no type of rock and roll shenanigans, young man. I said, yes, sir, I got it. And uh, so I went home and practiced. And I played at this first game and I went home and I got home to my, uh, to my mom and, and I stepped into the house and, and we sit down on the couch. Great leaders always have this space for safe conversations, right? And my mom, for us, that was the couch. She sat me down, I said, how'd it go? I said, I was, it was fine. I was not enthused and uh, she knew it. She said, I want you to come in the house as excited as you were when you walked out. You've been excited about this and all like, anxious and fired up about how to do it. She said, what would get you excited about it again? And I said, um, I said, you know, Jimi Hendrix? And she said, yeah. And I said, mom, what about, you know, Eddie Van Halen? She said, yeah. And I uh, said, what if Jimi Hendrix and Eddie Van Halen came together and won and played the national anthem? And she said, well, what do you mean? I explained more about it. And she, so she immediately, she's like, I love the idea. Let's go, let's, let's explore it. And the funny thing about it is right there, as soon as she said, come on, let's talk about it, I really, I, I went back in that dark place we go. We have a crazy idea or something we think might make a difference in our life, personally or in our professional lives. And I started going that dark place of fear and she wouldn't let me do that though. She kept pulling, she said, no, 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 let's go. Keep. She said, it's just us on the couch. Let's just talk about it. And we get through the, all the logistics. I didn't know how to do it. I didn't have the technique. I didn't have the right equipment. She, we walked through all that and she said, what about Mr. Ice? And I knew, we both knew the answer, but the bottom line was, uh, her message was, still sticks with me. She said, son, sometimes you have to ignore a few to win the hearts of many. And so, okay, that, that bit of courage I borrowed from her that night, I uh, started being strategic about figuring out what, what game would I do it at. I picked homecoming 
thought it was a good idea at the time. And then I uh, and I stepped into the uh, auditorium that night and played it as I had so imagined it in my you mind. You did bring a guitar. We're gonna hear the rendition in a moment. How anxious were you though before you stepped on oh, out very, of the middle of the field? Very, very, yeah, very. And it was a gymnasium in this case, so yeah, it was, it was, it was packed. You know, homecoming is packed to the rafters, and there's all this energy and popcorn and hot dogs smell and like. Was Mr. Ice there? Oh yeah, oh, Mr. Ice was did there. You, did you see him? I, you before know, you went I, up. I didn't. I know he was near the front row, and I think I didn't. Have, I think I must have. And that's a great question. Never thought about that. I've, I think I avoided eye contact. I with would him. imagine. Keep your head down, boy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I know he was. In, he was definitely there uh, because the repercussions were uh, clear. But yeah, I didn't look at him, just went for it. I'll let you finish that story when you return to the microphone, but I'm, I'm gonna invite our guitarist friend. He's a world-class mountain climber. He's a world-class presenter and an author. But I, I just was so impressed by the guitar that when I invited Manly onto the podcast, I wanted him to jam this rendition out. Now, what, what you need to do, my friends, though you do not need to turn it up for this one. He's gonna take care of that for you because this thing is gonna cover the caffeine and the Red Bull for the next two minutes or so. It's going to be an awesome rendition of the national anthem. It was played first at a homecoming. What school, Manly? Uh, Bethlehem High School. Bethlehem Art High School Kentucky. with Mr. Ice looking on, scowling. So, my <laughs> friends, please welcome to center court my friend Manly Feinberg. Here we go, Manly. Manly Feinberg, my friend. I think that rocks. It woke me up again today. I loved hearing it the first time out in, in Colorado. When you finished dropping that down on the high school, uh, what, what was the reaction from them? How'd you feel? And when did you see Mr. Rice? The place went crazy. It was really a blast and uh, huge applause. I mean, this amazing amount of energy explodes in the room and and our basketball team came alive and it was just fantastic. I, uh, I was flying high all weekend long. <laughs> and uh, and then Monday morning came, and I'm sitting in homeroom, and uh, Sister Margaret always would go through the announcements, and she did as usual, and then she she said, at the very end of the announcements, she says, and Mr. Manley Feinberg, 
please come to my office immediately. I remember all my buddies at home were like, oh, now you're so freaking cool, Mr. National Anthem. <laughs> so I, I go in there and uh, before my butt even hit the seat, she's like, slams the door, runs around to her little desk and she said, I have a message for Mr. Ice. You will never, ever, ever play guitar in this school again. Uh, it, but it was worth a lesson. I had no idea. Here's what's really fascinating about it. Three years ago or so on Facebook, uh, for, it was actually our starting point guard on the team, basketball team post. And he said, hey, do y'all remember when Manly played the national anthem at our homecoming game? And all this little, face, little Facebook conversation broke out. And um, what I didn't realize is what was said in this Facebook thread is um, that it, it inspired many people to step up and get out of their comfort zone and be courageous. And, and I had no idea the impact that that had on people. I don't think we realize. People are always watching us, and how we're showing up, it has such an That's impact. Right. Uh, but there's two things I want to make sure are clear in here. One, one is that that was because of my mother. There's no way I would have done it without my mother. And that she was a leader, technically, or my mother in this case, and she inspired me. And so that's number one. The second piece is there's actually, I think, a tactical lesson within that that she taught me is that what she created a space to have the conversation, and she wouldn't let me recede into that corner of fear, right? And she showed me that just it just takes one idea, one conversation, one courageous act to move forward. And that courage is contagious. Courage is contagious. And here's a real literal example at Build-A-Bear in particular. I used to have these, I'd have an idea right in my desk. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna go share that with my boss. And I'd hop up and I'd go to his door. And by the time I'd get to the door, the fear would shut me down. I'd knock on the door and he'd be like, what's up? And I'm like, oh, just see, how you yeah. doing, man? Just checking by. And what my mom taught me to do is go, just find one person to share the idea with. Give it some space and, and just start exploring it. There's no risk in exploring it. Just start talking about it because otherwise resistance will kill it in your head and your boldness and your brilliance will be buried. So we, I think a lot of our potential gets locked up in those moments. So share. Yeah. Just go and play. You do. You did. It rocked. And here you are now. That's one thing that changed your life. It's one inflection point, just having the courage to do it. Another is later on in college, you get invited by a buddy to check out something that I don't believe you, you, you've ever done before. Yeah, my friend Mark Williams, uh, still just dear friend and uh, so grateful for him. Uh, he was my UPS supervisor in college and uh, he kept saying, you gotta go camping in the Red River Gorge. You gotta come down to the gorge, go camping. I'm like, all right, finally, I said, all right, fine. So we, we go down to the gorge in K Kentucky and we go camping, uh, it's a typical evening out around the fire. And next morning, um, I said, what do we do for not hanging around the fire and having a beer? And he said, uh, we go scrambling on this ridge and there's some climbing, like, cool. So we go down to the end of this ridge, Augsier Ridge, yeah, people who are Red River Gorge fans. And we so go basically bouldering, which is climbing on short little rocks, like five, 10 feet, 15 feet tall. Everybody always thinks I'm a basketball player because I'm thin and tall, but I've really never was good at anything athletically out of the gate ever. For whatever reason, I followed him through these little circuit of climbs and I got to this last one. Like, well, you're doing good, man. This is, you've climbed every one of them. He said, this one's only Steve can do. This other friend of ours, Steve Pottinger, uh, he's the only one that could climb it. And they put me on this little boulder and I barely made it to the top. And I remember getting to the, on it. It was super present and intensely focused. And then when I hit the summit, which was summit, it was like this little, you know, 10 foot thing. But I remember how alive I felt and I felt truly plugged into the source, whatever that might mean for people, but it's like just like I'd been plugged into this electrical power of energy and spirituality, and I just felt so what? alive. Like you do when you're, whatever that is, everybody that's listening has had some moment in your life, uh, I think if you recall back when you pulled something off and, and you're like, wow, I feel good, you're, 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 so, you're alive. And it was an unbelievable a feeling. And then I, I knew, as soon as I got down, I was like, God, and that was really right here. Like, what's the, where's the next one? They're like, well, that's about it here. 
we went out two weeks later, uh, and I did a bunch of it again. And my buddy said, "You got to get a, you got to get some training." The second visit, I wanted to go higher. I wanted to keep going. So I realized I need. I didn't want to get hurt. I wanted to learn how to use the equipment. And so then I, I went. My mom helped me buy my first rope. Not help me. She bought it. I was yeah. a broke college kid, so she gives me the money to buy uh, a rope and shoes and a harness, just basics, a couple carabiners. And you were in. And it was on. It was on. I was obsessed about it. I just got completely obsessed with the whole pursuit. And uh, your yeah. your lesson three. It's probably your favorite one. Get on belay. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know what a belay is until I oh, heard you speak, actually. Okay. And I would imagine many of our listeners don't have a clue what it is either. So tell us what a belay is and tell us why we should get on our belay. Oh, okay. Thanks for asking. Uh, but so a belay is, it's spelled B-E-L-A-Y. And it's this mechanism by which we protect each other when we're climbing. And it's, it's what's fascinating about it is it's very simple mechanically. You can stop a lot of force without any effort. It's very simple, mm. uh, which is sort of the beauty of it. So... But what it's fascinating about is when someone's belaying you climbing, you're trusting your life. You're, literally, your life is in their hands. With just minimal effort, they can save your life. And with the, just a little bit of complacency or just let go with their hand, and you're potentially dead. To do a, a good belay um, in life and relationships and climbing, it's literally the same thing. One, number one is you have to be very present and encourage people, right? That's number one. A good belayer and a great belayer, they're gonna encourage you, say, I got you, dude, go, go, mm-hmm. go, I got you. Literally, if we are climbing, I got your back, go, I see you're sketching, go, I got you. And in life, same. That's number one. Second thing is to make sure we don't give people too much slack. The problem in the climbing world is we give too much slack out, which literally there's too much rope out and you fall, you're gonna go too far and you have a higher potential to hurt yourself. In the business world, life world, this is slack means not having the important conversation you need to have because it's mm-hmm. uncomfortable. I used to do that all the time, by the way, at Build-A-Bear. I want everybody to like me. It's one of my, the dark side of my personality that uh, I got to be careful with and manage. Um, being assertive and being honest with people is not easy uh, for me sometimes. So that, that, that's slack, right? And then the flip side of that is in climbing, uh, we can hold people too tight. Literally hold the rope back and not release enough rope which is also known as micromanaging in the business world, right? That's a very challenging situation for leaders and just whether you have the leadership title or not. Fourth and most important is that when a person falls, we have to lock the rope off, which is again, very simple physically when you're climbing. And I think quite simple in life too. You, we have to immediately engage the person and say, I see you falling. I'm gonna help you get back up. And by the way, I, I differentiate between failing and falling. To me, mm-hmm. in climbing, failing is dying, right? We're not there to die. And we're not, we don't want to be, I don't want to be scared. I'm trying to mitigate the risk. I'm trying to feel comfortable up there actually. So I have systems in place. Same in life. And if we're pushing ourselves, we're going to fall. So in climbing, we ironically, to push ourselves, we're going to fall occasionally. And if we're not falling occasionally, we're probably not pushing ourselves to our ability. So the belay is there to stop that fall and then encourage and enable us to get back on the wall and get moving again as quickly as possible. It's four great points. Mm -hmm. You also have two questions that you would encourage us to consider when we're thinking about belays. Yeah, yeah, that's key. That's key. It's, and that's really how we put it into action. So framework-wise, as far as you know, making sure you know exactly what to do with this when you stop listening to this podcast, and you can like you literally pause in a moment and do this. First question, who do I need on belay? Second question is, slight variation, who needs me on belay today? And is to reach out to both of them and mm-hmm. make a meaningful connection with intention. Do this every single day and everything in your life will shift. I guarantee it. Have you done that? Have you gone through periods of your time where you are asking that question, answering with two names, and then reaching out? Yeah, I have a journal. And if you go on my website, you can... I've got this journal planner that I developed and published last year. And But the cool thing is there's a free one-page 
PDF of it, but it's part of my, it's my daily process. Exactly what I do. There's gratitude. There's some basically about 10 processes that have proven to me over the years to be incredibly powerful, building momentum and clarity in my life. The belay is one of them. I say we challenge our our listeners right now to answer those two questions. And uh, when we wrap up at the end of the hour that they reach out to those two individuals and just just say hello. Yeah, just do it. It's simple. I'm thinking of you. Uh, what's going on? Maybe it's more direct. Maybe you're one of the you know, direct personality. Like, hey, I'm, I know you got a lot on your plate. How can I help you? You know, rock it, whatever, crush it. I don't, right. Whatever your language, it doesn't have to be the belay, obviously. But yeah, making meaningful connections intentionally. Because here's one other little thing I want to mention too. I get a lot of people say, well, mainly I'm like, what do you mean? I got email, voicemail coming to my ears. This is outbound though. It's with intention. It shows up very differently. The results, it's just different. And then you just responding to what's coming in. Mm-hmm. It, it's different. And it's, uh, there's where the intention comes in and the results are uh, pretty amazing. El Capitan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell the folks who aren't familiar with that what it is and, and uh, why it's so significant. El Capitan. I got obsessed with climbing El Capitan. It's in Yosemite, California, which I think is the greatest national park in our park system. And I've been to most of them. Uh, nine, at 92, my buddy, um, that was an early climbing partner, my friend Travis Moore mentioned to me and said, he goes, dude, they got this wall in California. It's so, you know, there's walls so big, you got to live on them for days to get to the top. It hit me. I was, it's so, I was so interested. I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, you camp up there. I'm like, what? It's yes. like, on the, people sleep on little ledges. It's like they, the 15-foot boulders in yeah, Kentucky. Oh, right, no, this is like, so we're in the St. Louis Arch, it's 630 feet tall. El Capitan is 3,200 feet tall, depending on what part of the cliff you measure. So six, six St. Louis arches, or two or three or four or five, six of your average skyscraper in the U.S. Pretty, pretty tall. <laughs> I mean, like, that's incredible. Yeah, and it is, by the way. And so in, on that note, I encourage everybody who's listening, I don't care if you're a rock climber, if you're even in the outdoors, I want to I encourage you. So many people I meet, before you die and check out off this planet, you have to go to Yosemite Valley and just experience the awe of that cathedral, natural cathedral. It's unbelievable. So we, we, we can't unpack the entire story of you climbing and eventually summoning this mm-hmm. just because there's, there's years yeah. that go into it. But I want you to tell me what it was like the very first time you were at the base of it looking up. Looking up, it's very intimidating. And it still is to me. It's interesting. Even I, I've been, I spent about seven, eight months of my life living in Yosemite climbing over the years, many, many trips. And every time I go, it doesn't quite intimidate me in a fear way the way it used to, but I'm always in awe and respect of it. The first few times I went out, 94 after college, made my first trip out there to try to climb it, never even stepped foot on it. I made, I think it was seven partners in three trips, five trips, mm-hmm. um, before I finally got up the thing. I finally, in 97, I finally got climbing on it for the first time, literally roped up and moving up the wall. I got about 400 feet up, and every, every step, I actually built momentum, and, and I realized, I realized I could do it for the first right. time ever. I was on it, even though it was still hanging over my head. I got this incredible amount of energy realizing I can do this one step at a time. I'll get to the top of this. Meanwhile, my partner had the opposite response, which is a really funny story. I call him Smokey. He didn't, he went the opposite direction and, and got very fearful. And he's like, dude, I'm not your guy, which was <laughs> kind of a relief because I knew it. And, and, but I didn't have to have that difficult conversation. He called it and he said, man, I'm not your guy. I got, we got to go down. Right. And so we bailed. That's a good lesson in business and personal. I thought he was the perfect guy. I bet everybody on this listening to this has either hired someone or been on a date with someone or had a friend who they thought, this is gonna be my, my wife or husband, my best friend, the best employee we've ever hired. And then a year or a month or two later, they're like, what in the world? This wasn't what you expected. Right. And, and I really did a lot of reverse engineering with the, he in particular to try to, what, where did I miss? And I, by the way, that's how all the vertical lessons came about. 
I'd go around on these climbing trips uh, to sometimes in the U.S. or sometimes out of the U.S. and come back, and I just was puzzled, like, well, how is it I went around halfway around the world and met a bunch, you know, a couple of people that didn't speak English hardly, and we pulled off something we didn't even think we could possibly do, and here I am sitting with an amazing HR team. We have great assessments and interview processes. We've hired this person we thought was going to be amazing. I'm not getting the interaction and engagement, yeah. people to step up, so I started reverse engineering from the vertical experiences and testing them in my laboratory uh, at, at Build-A-Bear, which was my teams in Build-A-Bear, and then figuring out what worked and what didn't. And that's really the origin of the lessons. The first time, and it, I know it took years and various climbing partners to make it to the top, but when you make it to the very tippity top of that rock, man, and you look out and you look down, what, what's that buzz like? If you face something challenging in your life and you finally got to a point where you go, wow, this is it, and there's a euphoria with it and an excitement, you know you've pulled something off that's magical for yourself. It felt like that. And the view was beautiful, which is kind of, it's a lesson in itself. Not everybody has kids in their, uh, on this list, I'm sure, but uh, for me, it, it felt very similar when I had children. I shared this with a friend that was hesitant to have kids, and he was a climber. I said, dude, having kids, I'm telling you, it's the hardest thing ever, and it's worth it. And it feels like you have the potential every day of your life with a child. And it doesn't have to be your own child, like giving to others. It could be elderly right. or someone you serve in your community. You have the potential. When you serve another human being and you, or you hold someone you care about, you love them, and you're worn out, it feels just like somebody they'll cap. So it's, um, we have that possibility every day in our life, but it, you know, it's, it doesn't happen every day. It doesn't happen, but it, it can. It can, And absolutely. it does not need to be your own child. Your right, point is right. well taken. Cannot be your, serving the elderly happen. or becoming a big brother through big yeah. brothers, big sisters, whatever Yeah, it may or pushing be. yourself through something difficult. Um, so one of my questions to you is, how do you determine when it's time to put your left hand up higher and just pull, put your right foot up into the next crevice and push versus um, kiss the rock and start sliding back down? When do you decide, when's your inflection point on when to say, enough, not this time? Uh, well, that's a good question. And, and just so the listeners can uh, take pause and make sure they recognize we're not just talking about climbing mm -hmm. 3,000 sheer mm -hmm. foot mountains, but uh, climbing up in life and doing the, becoming the best versions of ourselves. Yeah. How do you decide when it's time to move in a different direction? Knowing when to bail is key. I've had some really successful climbs. Oh, I had an expedition in Nepal that I think is one of the most successful climbing ex expeditions I've ever been part of. And we didn't technically summit the wall. I don't talk about that in the book at all. Uh, but we we didn't summit the wall. We didn't summit the mountain. We got very close. We made a decision based on safety and the snow conditions at that point in time. We said it's, we felt it was too dangerous to go for our risk tolerance level based on the skill set of the group. All these factors. We said we go back. That's one of the hardest things. I think in your heart, you know, but fear and emotion in our head is so much bigger than it really needs to be, and it really distorts everything. So that's a problem because and and, and pain, right? So we're suffering. You're like, oh, I need to quit. I need to quit. This is crazy. I got to stop this. Or you have an injury. Oh, there's the excuse. Weather's coming in. Mm -hmm. Economics. We folded that new product line launch because the, the economy wasn't right for the economy. But there's always somebody out there who's, who's achieved despite that. Or, or because of that. Or because of it. Exactly. Right. One quick lesson I'll share with everyone is when you have a moment like that, either something fearful you want to try, but you sense when you're feeling good and you're like, that's what I need to do next. And then you run into some resistance internally or externally. My buddy said, right, he said, what's your anchor? Which in climbing, we have anchors that hold us on the wall no matter what. He said, write it down. And when I wrote it down, the fear it was out of my mind and the fears fell away and the facts were left on the piece of paper. So that's one practical thing you can do is just brainstorm it out. Here, cool. If I take this step or if I think I need to bail on this, why do I need to bail? If I do bail, how am I going to get back out of this and recover? And that way you can get it out of our head and try to get a more objective lens on it. You write about challenging your beliefs. Hmm. 
And a big part of our work collectively is about really encouraging organizations and individuals to challenge their beliefs. How would you encourage us to challenge our beliefs? Hmm. I was asking this climbing partner who was unsafe to a simple little thing. I said, you got to do this. You got to, in this case, lock this carabiner. So this is ridiculous. You got to lock the carabiner. And I kept telling them they wouldn't do it. And then they finally did it. I realized I was chasing a behavior. I said, here's what I need you to do. And I used to do this in business and personal life, my kids. Here's what I need you to do. Here's what we do. Here's how we do it. I even showed them. Here's how you lead by example, right? Still didn't work. Now I look back and wonder if I'd just step back and ask, why do you believe it's not necessary to do this? Or why do you keep doing this? You must believe this is worth, why, do you, why are you doing this? And get to that and uncover the belief that's driving the behavior. It's, it's a really powerful, it's a little more difficult on the front end, but I think you get the results mm-hmm. faster. So why do you believe it's not necessary to, so for business people out there, standard operating procedure or something, why do you believe it's not necessary to do this if you're not doing it? Instead of just telling people what you want, we gotta start with ourselves first. You have a quote around that, and I know it's in the book, and it's so beautiful. Thank you. This idea of the belief and the behavior. So stop, stop chasing behaviors and start, challenging beliefs. Yeah, dude. I mean, say that again. And while you're saying it, I'm going to beg everybody listening to write it down and then put it on their window. Thank you. Say it again. Stop chasing behaviors and start challenging beliefs. I think it's so powerful for us, whether we're leading uh, just our own journey forward or we're leading a team or an organization or a family to do exactly that. One of the very final chapters you wrote about was celebrating the successes, celebrating the summits. And I, I I know I do this very poorly, actually. I'm, I'm very weak in that area of actually pausing to celebrate the successes that have shown up in my life. And I would suggest that not alone at the summit, mm-hmm. then looking forward and doing the next thing. So uh, tell me why that matters and then help us understand how we can do a better job celebrating the summits of life that we've climbed. I'm with you, by the way. I it, My wife just brought this up the other day. I think it was about our oldest son just got accepted in the, t- the only two colleges he applied to in Colorado, which we're very excited about. She's like, we got to celebrate this. And we're meeting with my marketing events manager today and a bunch of things, that, good things going on in the business that she's like, we need to celebrate this. Practicing our own, our own message is tough, <laughs> uh, but, but we need it. Little summits and big summits. So the same thing you said is what every audience member pretty much says, I don't do it enough. We don't celebrate right. enough. Here's why it's worth it. It builds an incredible amount of momentum. And, and one thing I would encourage you, you all have influence, by the way, every person listening, I don't care what your role responsibility is in your life, but you do have a lot of influence. And, and I believe that's really what leadership is about. So I would invite you to ask everyone in your life, anytime you accomplish, even a small summit, you make it through another day, something, anything small or big. Uh, wow, we just pulled this off. You know, what do you see from here? Perspective is literally different on the summit. So you have this fleeting moment in time and you, your perspective is literally when we're climbing mountains, it's literally physically, we can see peaks we couldn't right. see from the struggle or from the seat you're sitting in today. You have this vision, an expanded vision that that's uh, not there day to day in the, living on the wall. But if you ask someone else, it's very powerful. What do you see from here? Because what I used to always do and what my boss would do to me and everyone else say, okay, you finish that up, good, right? We're very driven, right? One of the dark sides of our driven American culture. We've got to stop it. It's very, when you've been it's always pushing on you. You're like, oh, here we go. They're pushing me again. But if you just ask a question instead, ask great questions, ask the right question, what do you see from here? And let the people speak that you're surrounded by, you'll get a completely different level of engagement. So I think personally we can practice it. I think we can ask a powerful question and get others to engage in a very different way to celebrate the summits and that perspective and not, and not let that fleeting moment go. What's the most recent summit that you've, uh, you've been celebrating? Uh, my kid get into the two colleges he really wanted to go to. Um, that's one. And then I had a difficult year physically and, and mentally and emotionally last year from the health thing that kind of just weighed me down. 
And despite that, we grew the business. Uh, every metric we measure was a comp positive, as we'd say back in the retail days. We, we outdid our previous year. I serve more people and the financial metrics that we need to look at to be, to, so I can pay my bills and feed my family, all those things, um, more books in people's hands, everything positive increased despite me being not full capacity. So that was a huge summit for me just to try to celebrate. You've allow lost. myself to, right? Something we're so driven as Americans, most of us, it's like, oh, come on, move to the next thing. But it, it really builds momentum uh, when we do that. It does, and uh, we all should do a better job of it. There's a quote you you shared, and I just love it. I'd like you to unpack it for us. Then I'm going to shift into what we call the Live Inspired okay. 7. Cool. Sometimes we don't know the ones who influence and impact us until we are left without them. Hmm. And you have had some dear friends in your life and dear climbing buddies who have gone before you, who you've lost through various reasons. Tell me what that means again. Sometimes we don't know the ones who influence and impact us until we are left without them. So I, I'm experiencing this right now with my kids getting ready to leave school. So they're, they're little alive, thank God. Um, the context of that was within people I've lost to death. It happens, right? The person's gone. And all of a sudden we're like, oh my gosh, I, 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 what happened? And maybe they just moved on to a different company. Maybe they died or whatever. So it doesn't have to be an extreme loss. But you know, if somebody leaves the company, you're like, well, we'll still hang out. We'll go to happy hour. And most of the time it just doesn't happen. What's different about um, this period, the season of my life coming in with my kids is that I know it's coming to an end. For the first time, I really love change. I always love novelty and newness, but I don't think I've ever had a period of my life when I knew at the time, and this is a magical moment in my life. I don't want it to come to an end. Hmm. And I'm quite, I've been quite sad for a couple of years about the kids leaving and that chapter coming to an end. And this, I have a chance. So the last year, year and a half, I've had a, like a, a two minute warning, right? Like, okay, it's very come to an end this season. And I know the reality is, and once the kids leave, I will not be around them as much. So for people listening out there, I think the opportunity here is to, to just take a moment and reflect in your life and don't overthink it. Who are the first people popping in your mind? At work, at home or wherever, your community. Think about all those people you're with. And if they were no longer there, who would you miss, right? And then go get on Blay within that day and maybe go have lunch with them and say, you know, I don't know, John, if you're looking for another job or anything, but I just, you know, occurred to me this morning, if you ever were not working here, I would really miss you. I appreciate your work and your contribution, however you want to say it. Mm-hmm. Um, but just taking a quick sense of, getting a sense of who is that in your life, if, if you got surprised by them not being around anymore, who would you wish you had had that chance to say something to? So I think that's a way we can... It's a long list. Better get oh, going. Oh, yeah, exactly. So we got to get on with it, right? Do it and do it consistently. And um so when, when and this is my final question before we go into the Live Inspired mm-hmm. Seven. When, when you speak, actually, I lied. I'm going to ask you too. But when you speak, write, do podcast, what's that one message you hope the audience will receive? I, I do usually cover a lot of content, and it's in, and it is inspirational. So I usually do six, seven, eight vertical lessons. I don't really care which one of them resonates with them. I just wanted to pick one for it to be meaningful and impactful for them, helpful and impactful mm-hmm. for them. So I don't really care which one it is, but I do hope that something hits them. And it serves them in some way where they're at that day. So what has hit you? What has served you? And the question specifically is, dude, you've been all over the world. I mean, you've been to play, you've been in countries I can't pronounce. Otherwise, I'd be asking you to tell me about Kyrgyzstan. I think that's one you went to. Kyrgyzstan. You've been everywhere. And you've summited everything or tried. What's the most magical moment for you, like looking out, looking up, looking down? What, what? And you can't say, well, there's lots. Just what, that one moment where you're like, whew, John, there was this one moment when, what happened? As far as trips, specific ones, the like Kyrgyzstan, which a lot of the book is based on and my signature keynote is based on, that summit 
in particular. That was the most challenging for a lot of reasons. And, uh, and getting in and out of that region was ex- an extraordinary journey. So that, as far as an accomplishment, that said for me, my relationship with my wife and, and my children is the ultimate summit for me, for sure. And the one I find the most joy in day in. That's my sum, the potential summit every single day. And as like I told my buddy, I was encouraging to have kids. You have the opportunity with people you serve every day to feel like it's a summit. You're worn out physically, but emotionally fulfilled if we're giving and serving others. It's funny you say that. When I wrote down that question and I kind of thought through some of the answers, you got two of the ones that I already thought I was going to hear. Uh-huh. That that trip to Kyrgyzstan okay. for the, the summit and then a, your own family. So I think you're- uh, There's some music moments I've had um, that were also summits I felt amazingly Well, how about on the by. podcast? Is that now number three? So kids- Kyrgyzstan and the O'Leary podcast? Oh, then the O'Leary, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, that's yeah, right. I just want to make sure that's we're right. on the same You're, page yes, right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, thank you for it. Yeah, no worries. I, I always like to- <laughs> Of course. Yeah, yeah. Take my bite of humble pie. Here we go. So uh, my friends, those of you who've been tracking with us for a while, you know that uh, on every single Live Inspired podcast, we also ask our Live Inspired seven. So Manly Feinberg, these are seven questions we ask every guest. And now we're honored to have you as one of them. World-class mountain climber, Sojourner, leader, speaker, writer. Here we go. What is the best book that you have ever read? Okay, I cheated a little. So I, I thought about this a little bit, and I'm going to give you four. I'm going to do it fast, though. Okay, you got to do it really one. quick, man. Okay, really quick. So, first of all, Jonathan Livingston Siegel, inspirational. Nice. Mom put it in my hands as a kid. Number two, The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. Check it out. Number three, um, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. And the fourth, The 80 20 Principle. It's a very practical, so all full spectrum there for people. That's a pretty diverse what, what collection. You, yeah, what you like. So the first book you mentioned, Jonathan Livingston. We uh, we had him on our podcast. Oh, really, guys? If you are interested in learning more about him, the author, it's a crazy story. Richard Bach. I'm definitely go back and listen to that. Thank oh you. man, I yeah. didn't know you. He was on your show. That's amazing. It's a great. It's a great story. He's a great guy. Uh, what's one positive characteristic, one trait that you possessed as a child that you wish you exhibited as brightly today? My energy level, uh, and that ties some to the physical thing going on, but uh, just the energy. Like, I don't remember, I was just boundless energy. And that, that was uh, that was something I, I'm digging for, uh, re- wow. getting filled back up on. Our, our listeners are not thinking that that's probably the case. I mean, we're feeling uh, some energy coming from thank you, you, man. Thank you. It's, it's a, I'm in a good place with you here. If your home caught fire and your children and your wife are out, your animals are out, everybody's safe, everything is safe, and you have an opportunity to run in and grab one item that really matters, what would you grab? So we're fans of This Is Us TV show. We just watched uh, Super Bowl Sunday, episode 14, season two. <laughs> and so I would not go back into the house. Those of you who've seen that know what I'm talking about. If you said, okay, you're guaranteed safe. You're guaranteed safe. Okay, I would go in and grab a couple guitars uh, that my mother bought me when she passed away. Very cool. If you could sit on a bench overlooking a beach and have a long conversation with anyone living or dead, who would you want seated right next to you on that bench? Anybody in the, that ever lived, it would be my mother. It's been 18 years now since we've had a physical conversation, and we got a lot to catch up on. What was the best part of your mom? I mean, you, you just rave about her. So what what is what is the best part about mom? Or maybe said differently, what do you the, miss most about mom? I miss most her um, unwavering, relentless enthusiasm and encouragement and commitment no matter what and love and unconditional. I don't know that, no offense to the dads out there, there's something about a mother that that's it's the ultimate human love that I think we can experience, and uh, that's uh, when that's not around, it's it's very uncomfortable. Mm. What's the best advice that she or anyone else ever gave you? 
and this act, ironically, that comes from her to, I don't know if it's advice, it's so much as enthusiasm, encouragement. She always told me that I could do anything I wanted to do and believed in me and believed in me and believed in me. And then, but second with that, she always um, said, you have some amazing purpose on this planet. And she said, when you were born, you had this aura around you. I don't know if this is true or if she was hallucinating from labor, but she said, you, she goes, you're here for a reason. There's this light about you. And I don't know what it is, but I know you're here to do something amazing in this world. And I believed her. I bought into it. I believe her too. Two questions left. Mm-hmm. You've almost made it. What would you tell your 20-year-old self? Don't worry about what people think so much. And I tell my 46-year-old self sitting right here the same thing. It's uh, still something I'm working on. Uh, me too. I think we all are. Well, Manly Feinberg, it has been said that all great people and mountain climbers and musicians <laughs> and sons and leaders and speakers and every other task out there can have their live summed up in one sentence. How would you like your one sentence to read? Manly was an amazing father, a husband, and an amazing friend to everyone he met with no exceptions and loved them and they knew it. That's awesome. Manly Feinberg, you are an amazing fellow and friend and uh, people do know that you love them and that you mean it and that's rare these days. So I appreciate that. I feel that love. We have felt it on this podcast. Can you do us a huge favor and take us home with music? Yeah. We got Jonathan Cain, the keyboardist for Journey on. He was on a podcast that you may want to check out. It is incredible. But having a a musician with us in the house, it's just too good of an opportunity to pass up. So I'm going to do my closing remarks. But uh, as I do, I hope you get ready to take us home on any song you want to take us all the way to the finish line with tonight. And and what we recognize is it's it's just the starting line. I want to thank each of you for tuning in for this time. I want to remind you that we will be back next time with another inspirational guest who will share a little bit of their story, but they share it in order that you and we may better live our stories. So my friends, thank you for joining us this time. And until next time, that is Manly Feinberg on guitar, getting ready to jam out. This is John O'Leary, and today is your day. Live inspired. Take us away, Manly. <laughs>